Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. An eight-year-old student with special needs allegedly punched a teacher in the chest and ended up being arrested and taken to a juvenile detention facility by police in Key West, Florida. His family is filing a lawsuit after a body cam video of the incident came to light. The boy was charged with felony battery. According to Benjamin Crump, the family's attorney, quote, this is a heartbreaking example of how our educational and policing systems train children to be criminals. If convicted, the child in this case would have been a convicted felon at eight years old. This little boy was failed by everyone who played a part in this horrific incident, end quote. At three and one half feet tall and 64 pounds, the boy was so small the handcuffs fell off his wrists. Crump and another attorney plan to file a federal lawsuit against the arresting officers, school officials, the city of Key West, and the school district. Alabama state prisons are the deadliest state prisons in the country, according to the Department of Justice. Among U.S. state prisons, Alabama's have the highest homicide rate, and it's increasing. 11 inmates were killed during a fiscal year that ended last September. That was more deaths than in the previous year. In October, three more prisoners were killed. In 2014, a federal lawsuit filed against the state of Alabama tackled the state's failures to take care of the medical and mental health needs of prisoners. In 2017, a U.S. District Court judge found that the Alabama Department of Corrections was, quote, horrendously inadequate, end quote, in meeting those needs. He ordered the state to hire over 2,000 more correctional staff by 2022. The state is continuing discussions with the Department of Corrections about solving the problems. But the department commissioner said, quote, our infrastructure was not designed to rehabilitate. It was designed to warehouse, end quote. Alabamians for Fair Justice called for a task force to investigate the prisons and stressed that it must be composed of legislators, formerly incarcerated people, family members, currently incarcerated people, and lawyers. Last Monday, during the Kenosha Uprising, the State Department of Corrections building was burned to the ground. Demonstrators painted the question, are you listening yet, on the smoking remains. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed the Martha Wright Prison Phone Justice Act, and now it's the Senate's turn to do the same. The act would drastically lower the prison phone call rate, helping keep incarcerated people and their families connected. This issue is particularly critical during the pandemic. People with incarcerated loved ones have to sacrifice buying essentials like groceries and paying bills to speak to their imprisoned loved ones. Prison phone companies charge as much as $25 for a 15-minute phone call. The $600 a week pandemic unemployment benefit, which many families came to rely on, has been cut, so it's even more crucial that prison phone calls are made accessible and affordable. The Martha Wright Act will save incarcerated people and their families millions of dollars by drastically lowering the rate of prison and jail phone calls to four or five cents per minute. It will help keep families connected to each other. 
1997, Fairwayne Bryant, a black man then 38 years old, was sentenced to life in prison for stealing a pair of hedge clippers. He has now spent almost 23 years at the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, the country's largest maximum security prison. The Louisiana Supreme Court recently declined to review Bryant's case, with an exception, the Black Chief Justice Burnett Johnson. She said in a written statement, quote, Mr. Bryant has already spent nearly 23 years in prison and is now over 60 years old. If he lives another 20 years, Louisiana taxpayers will have paid almost $1 million to punish Mr. Bryant for his failed effort to steal a set of hedge clippers, end quote. When Bryant was convicted of attempted simple burglary for stealing the hedge clippers, prosecutors cited Louisiana's habitual offender laws, which enabled them to seek a harsh sentence for lesser crimes if a defendant had prior convictions. Bryant had four felonies on his record, the most serious and only violent one being an attempted armed robbery of a cab driver for which he served 10 years beginning in 1979. In 2000, Bryant argued to Louisiana's Second Court of Appeals that his sentence was unconstitutionally excessive. According to The Root, quote, The court basically ruled that since he'd spent much of his adult life behind bars, he might as well be kept in lockup forever, end quote. In anticipation of his October 15th parole hearing, the ACLU of Louisiana Executive Director Alana Odoms Hebert said, quote, Fair Wayne Bryant has spent more than 20 years in prison for an unsuccessful attempt to steal a pair of hedge clippers because of a racist and unjust system that condemns people to die in prison for minor offenses. There was no rational justification for such an extreme sentence then, and there can be no justifiable reason to continue his unjust sentence now." End quote. ICE detainees are a week into a hunger strike at Pine Prairie, Louisiana. We share the following account of the strike and interview with a participant from Perilous Chronicle, a digital archive of prisoner resistance. More information can be found at perilouschronicle.com. On August 10th, 48 African detainees in Pine Prairie Ice Processing Center declared their collective refusal to eat, continuing a years-long saga of collective protest and repression that has characterized their fight for asylum on the continent. The majority of the strikers are English speakers from Cameroon, where armed conflict is making the country unlivable and where the English-speaking minority faces repression by the country's authoritarian government. After crossing three continents and an ocean seeking safety in the U.S., their battle for human dignity continues within ICE detention. Sylvie Bellow, of the Cameroonian American Council, situated the hunger strike in the broader context of Black August, a celebration that began in California's prison system in the 1970s to commemorate the death of Black Panther leader and incarcerated intellectual George Jackson. August is Black August, Bellow told Perilous in an interview, and in the spirit of the ancestors before them and the elders before them who started what is known as Black August out in California, the Cameroonians at Pine Prairie led a protest in the form of a hunger strike. The strike follows other significant protests led by Cameroonians in Immigration and Customs Enforcement detention this year, including one in February, Black History Month, and one on Juneteenth, a yearly celebration of the formal end of chattel slavery in the U.S. Citing the significance of Juneteenth, the strikers released a video and audio statement explaining their motivation for acting. The August 10th hunger strike was met with immediate violence by guards, according to the detainees who spoke with the Southern Poverty Law Center. One striker reported that as they returned to their dorms after refusing to eat in the cafeteria, guards tackled three detainees, intending to take them to solitary confinement. A scuffle ensued as the remaining 45 detainees refused to return to their dorms until the three were released. I stood up so strongly, 
the detainee recalled. They had guns. I tried to remove the officer's leg from them. They were trying to put them in a chokehold. I ran toward them. He was pointing a gun at us, a long gun. I asked them to shoot me and kill me. As a result of their courage, the three detainees bound for solitary were released and returned to their unit with the rest of the strikers. Detainees paused the strike when ICE agreed to negotiate, but these talks broke down and by August 21st, the strike was back on. Rose Murray of the Southern Poverty Law Center has been in touch with the strikers. In an email to Perilous, Murray outlined the repression they are facing as a result of their resistance. Quote, All 45 hunger strikers have been taken to segregation, and one Cameroonian who just came out of surgery, who is not even on hunger strike, whose health is precarious, has been taken as well, Murray wrote. Earlier today, officials in militarized gear came to take them to segregation, dressed as if they were going to war, unquote. Detainees also reported a lack of sanitation precautions in response to COVID-19. Murray wrote, In front of the strikers, officials cleared out the people from the rooms who had not completed their 14-day quarantine period, who had been transferred into Pine Prairie from other facilities. They did not clean out the rooms in between, and instead, the strikers were made to go into the rooms immediately after the quarantined individuals were escorted out. Unquote. Louisiana is the center of the immigration detention boom under the Trump administration. Nine facilities in the state signed new contracts to house migrants in recent years, many of them cash-strapped parish jails in rural areas with few job opportunities or other sources of economic activity. According to detainees and their supporters, the motivations for the hunger strike are many, including the conditions of the for-profit Louisiana Detention Center and the dysfunctional immigration system in which the strikers are caught. Many strikers complain of gross medical neglect, saying their conditions have continued to worsen during their long stay in detention. According to newly released detention data from ICE, during fiscal year 2020, the average stay in ICE detention is 61 days, which has increased from previous years. At Pine Prairie, the average length of stay is 86 days. Nonetheless, according to Bellow, the majority of the Cameroonians at Pine Prairie have been detained at the facility for more than a year, including one 23-year-old who's been held there for nearly two years. When asked why Cameroonians were fleeing their country in such large numbers right now, Bellow was very clear about where the blame lies. Quote, the short answer, as a result of American foreign policy, unquote. As the Illuminator reports, applications for the release of Cameroonians are denied at a rate of 2.5 times higher than other applicants. The strike at Pine Prairie is not an isolated incident, but the continuation of at least a year of consistent protest on the part of African immigrants against the failure of a global community to grant them refuge as they flee their often war-torn countries of origin. The hunger strike this month at Pine Prairie is at least the fourth major protest led by Cameroonians in ICE detention this year. The following week, on March 3, 2020, male Cameroonian detainees at Pine Prairie organized a hunger strike that lasted at least 10 days in protest of their conditions of confinement and the dysfunctional asylum process they faced. Months later, the same migrants again find themselves in segregation for acting together to demand justice. As far as we know, their protest continues despite their transfer to segregation, but it is not clear how long they'll be able to sustain their strike after all they've been through. And now, we have audio of a call between an anonymous Pine Prairie detainee and a member of Perilous, who shared the audio with us. I'm calling from Pine Prairie, Louisiana, uh -huh. in Joe facility. I want to let you know that for the past Seven days today we are on hunger strike. All the black Africans are on hunger strike. 
and since we were being confined into we were being confined into an isolated environment after we left our dorm three days when we declared the hunger strike the officials of the Pine Perry, the officials of Joe, let us know we cannot continue stay, staying in our dorms because they need to monitor us. They need to take us for a, a month. They need to confine us so that they will be keeping us on monitor. But since Monday that we were being taken forcefully to unconfined environment by where we have no access to TV, no access to yard, no access to to medical treatment. We have not received any medical medical treatment as of now. We have been and no one has eaten yet. Fortunately yesterday evening one of us had a had an attack. We don't know. Presently his I don't know presently his health condition. He was he felt and he was looking like very stiff why we called the authorities to come and take him for a medical care. Up to now, well, I have not heard about him from now because of my different, of our different site in which we are in the sales. We compiled sales of two persons and a toilet, whereby the toilet is attached with portable drinking water. And we have access to bed only when we request for within the night, one time daily, for the, for the two days we have been here. And I'm sorry, you have access to what only when you request it? Yeah, we have what uh, access to bid when we request, once a day, because mm. we have no shower in our, in our confined environment. You'll need to take us out for shower in another place where showers, uh, showers are being operating. Then you you started your hunger strike again on the 21st, is that correct? Last Friday? Yes, on, yes, on the 21st. That is 21st. That was last Friday. And what are you demanding? Why are you hunger striking? What we are demanding is before on the 21st, 10th of, of, 10th of this August, we officially declared a hunger strike whereby we asked the authorities that we needed to talk with ICE for the reason that for the past one year, the list of us is at least 10 to, to 19 months in this facility. For the past one year that we have been here, we have never seen our deportation officers or neither seen any supervisor of such coming knowing us personally for our, for our parole issues. So it came a time in it came a time when we sat and we decided that we needed to talk with our deportation officers and we wrote letters to the administration to the ICE and they told us that there is no way our deport we could meet them because they are too busy. We said elsewhere deportation officers did meet their meet their asylum seekers because we are asylum seekers. We are not prisoners. So, and how come about, and now we have been sending parole documents from last, from January to now. Everything we heard of is 
we are fly rich, we are denied, we don't know what we committed as a crime in the USA. Oh, and we are, we are arriving aliens. So this puts us in March. The first hunger strike we went, that was March. When hunger strike for March, when some people resisted 10 day, uh, 13 days, that from the 10th of March to the 13th of March, why some people did not resist. Within that meeting, uh, one of ICE officials came, that named himself, he was a supervisor of Supervisor Don. And we placed our problems to him. And he let us know if we have family members here as well, as citizens as well, we are arriving aliens, then we have the right for parole. And that he was new in Louisiana, in Ogdali, in the Ogdali uh, office, ICE office. He was new. And he doesn't know why things are not being done here the way he was being done where he was. And he was surprised that very day when we showed him documents of our family members, citizens, ready to receive us. He said, then why, why have them not been releasing us anyway? Let him, let us give him time for him to check on what has been happening. Since then, nothing has changed. Nothing changed. Only we felt just an impact of three, two Cameroonians who finally got we learned they got the left year by parole, and up to then, we have more than 50. We have more than 50 Africans here, which has never been paroled. So when we left that match after the hunger strike, we thought things would be the same. Nothing has changed practically. Within the month of August 10th, we asked. Again, before August 10th, we applied within the facility that we needed to talk with our ICE officials because we still need them to explain certain things to us. Why elsewhere people are being paroled with these same documents in which we have, their family members have been sending, and yet it's a difficult thing. When we started the hunger strike by March 10th, they called, they brought one official here, called one official, he came and said he was a supervisor. He was named Kelwiston, that he was a supervisor. And he said, we gave him all the details about why are we not parole, why are we not monitor, uh, parole monitor, why are we not giving bond parole. So he said he would take all our grievances to the head office because he cannot make a decision. And he will be coming in three days' time to give us a response. So within the three days' time, they asked us to go and resume our hunger strike. Let's resume our activities while we wait for the result. Not everybody agreed to that. Some people that was on medication, they decided to go back on their daily activities while some people were still left in their dump without eating and without taking any such activities within the facility. Then it came by... When that day, the man came, that was a, a, a Thursday. When he came last Thursday, the first thing he, need, he told us was parole, parole was being instituted to be given to pregnant women and not to adults and to children. And we let him know, neither us, we are women here in this facility, neither we are children, but we were being given parole forms to ask for parole. So what is he telling us? Can he confirm what he's telling in any form of documentation, 
because we have those documents with us that we are eligible for parole. Parole is not only for pregnant women. The first thing he led us to know that parole was being given to pregnant women and kids and children. And we told him this camp, wherever we are in this camp, we have never seen any immigrant woman in this camp. Not to talk of a child, a, a, a minor in this camp. And when we came here by November, most of us were giving parole documents to parole, that parole has been instituted here to sign and that we can start applying for our parole. And if today, you have the audacity to tell us that parole is being given to women and pregnant women, but which we know that is not the case because we have family members that too have that fled the country because of the because of the genocide and the war going in Cameroon because I'm a Cameroonian by nationality. So he told us maybe they are not doing things at the right way. We will say okay, if you are the people doing things on the right way, we can understand and the reasons in which we are here, maybe for a purpose, in the purpose that keep us here, only continue feeding us and preparing to send us back home. So, when all that transpired within that meeting, before we went that first hung, before we went on the 10th day, the hunger strike we declared on the 10th. We were being assaulted within the facility because three, when we went for chow and we denied to eat, and our, on our way out, from Chow, from the restaurant, we were being asked to be converted to the isolated area which is being named Echo and Poso. This is where most of detainees that commit crimes in this facility or detainees that fought, fight, or most dangers of recent, they have been using it for keeping COVID-19 patients or people that they bring out from the facility, keeping them on monitor. So they decided to push us in, and when we decided to say we are peacefully Protestant and we are not destroying any of their existing, and we don't have any, they don't have any reason to take us there. When being molested, three people were being wounded. Why drop? Why they were? Why they were trying to resist to enter the postal? And we're being pointed with guns, pepe guns and tear guns, and all the like with officers, and some were being restricted. And we, we had, they had to make some calls and they decided that we should go in our dorms. After releasing us, after having, passing about two hours in confrontation with them because we told them that we are not going and we slept down, we put our hands up and we said they will only take us by force but, and we are not using force of them. They will choose using force of, of that particular day. So when we came, when the ICE officer finally came, we talked with him and we explained most of those things with him and he promised us to come with results when he only came with that result of pregnant women. And this time, when we decided on the 21st to go on the same hunger strike because the result, the negotiation didn't work, they threatened us as well that if we will not be eating, we will be locked up. On Monday the 23rd, we're all being taken to Poso. And before we're being taken to Poso, they brought, they brought a lot of um, unmen, unmen, 
year in which we could not even identify the officers as well. We don't know them. They were dressed as they were going for a battle. But fortunately, when they arrived, all of us, as peaceful as we are, we have prepared already to leave to the postal without any violence because whatever our brother went out, went through the last violence, the last on the turn, it teaches us a lot of lessons to know that if we continue to resist, they may have a reason maybe to, to wound us, to shoot us, to do anything we wish they want to do. But we choose that part of not being violent and then to walk out and pack our things within ourselves and move to postal. And they told us going to postal is because they want to put us on, on, on watch supervision. But fortunately, up to them, no one has been taking neither his weight, temperature, his weight on daily temperature or his BP as well. And we have most of the people here asthmatic, as people with heart problems, as people with, with gastritis. Many of us are here, uh, we are even patients, eligible for parole or maybe closer to COVID-19. On that same day when we arrived at Poso, we were forced to enter a section that was being, people were being quarantined for COVID-19. And uh, these people, their quarantine has not finished because they needed to put push us in. They forced us in forcefully and told us that we will only get in forcefully if we don't want. Most of us resisted and told them, anyway, by the way, our life is, is in their hands for pushing us where people are just coming out without finishing their quarantine. And they let us know these people had about still three days or four days more. One officer told us they have about three days to four days more. By the way, they were never they were never quarantined for the reason that they, were, they had COVID-19. And we let them know, yes, we know that quarantine is an issue to really determine within the 14 days. Not the least, the 13 days you can still be tested positive. But now these people are still on their 10 to 11 days. So give the fact that their quarantine is not finished and that environment is not fit for us to be there. But since you choose to use force on us, we will go there by giving our lives in your hands and in the jail facilities as well. No one has eaten here. No one, people that are on drugs, maybe some are taking, some are not taking because we have some people who have blood pressure. That is what we are going through at this particular moment. We, we cannot determine how long we will be. We will only determine how long we will be according to when, if our questions, if our answers, are, if our problems are being answered. I can't talk for others, but I will talk for myself. I will, it will only depend if our pro, my problem is being answered in the right way. Let the people out to know that is exactly what is happening. If there were parts that you missed, we'll have a transcript of that audio on our website, wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. And also, again, a special thanks to Perilous Chronicle. You can see more of their work at perilouschronicle.com. Please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. 
We'll continue to air messages from prisoners who call in from the inside and family members calling in for support for their loved ones. You can call in on behalf of a loved one or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.